So it was right around this time, 28 years ago, um, that Ginny and I met Kent and Sarah. Um, we knew, Ginny and I knew Sarah's parents through ministry, and uh, you know we would see them at conferences and retreats. Uh, we, we didn't really hang out together at those meetings. It was more of a casual, um, you know, a, more of a casual acquaintance interaction. Um, when we moved to Fort Wayne, though, uh, then Stan and I used to get together. Uh, Stan and I used to get together for lunch and uh, talk about all sorts of things. Just everything, really. Um, and, and, and just really enjoyed that. Uh, Stan was pastoring uh, Curdy's. Curtis Avenue Missionary Church at that time. And that's about the time we began um, doing the combined services. We do them at Good Friday and we do them at Christmas, you know, along with several other missionary churches. Uh, during that time, Sarah was attending Fort Wayne Bible College, and I am not really sure how uh, Kent and Sarah met. I think it was either during the arm wrestling or hog calling or greased pig contest at the uh, Allen County Fair. I'm not sure what it was. I'm not sure what it was that, that, that really cemented that, that, that calling there, but uh, Kent began chasing Sarah around. Uh, they got married and decided to move up to Gurney, Illinois, so Kent could attend seminary. Um, now, when he finished the book learning part of seminary, he had to do an internship, and the internship uh, was supposed to be a year internship and uh, during you know, that, that time where he could get some uh, practical experience because uh, if, you've been to, um, if, if you've been to school for the pastorate, you know that um, it, it's a good education, but they don't teach you much about what you're going to be doing every single day. That's just the way, that's, that's just the, the, the way it is. So he had to do an, a one-year internship in a church. Uh, Stan was a fan of my uh, irreverent behavior, my brash comments, and my take-no-prisoner uh, comments as an instigator at public, in public meetings. Uh, uh, Becky, not so much. She you know, was not so much a fan of that. In fact, in discussions, Stan would say, well, you know, uh, Pat Ryan said, to which Becky would reply, I don't care what Pat Ryan said. Yeah. Um, we were looking for a youth pastor at the time, so uh, Stan suggested that uh, Kent might want to talk to me about doing his internship here at Northside. Now, Becky, on the other hand, wasn't sure that Kent should be under my influence, but she was sure that she wanted her daughter and grandson here in Fort Wayne, uh, so she, too, uh, you know, would encourage them. Uh, Kent reached out to me. He sent me his resume, his, refer his references. Uh, Stan liked him, which was a good thing in my book. Uh, Kent could do music, and uh, I knew several people who know, knew both Kent and Sarah, and they all had nothing but good things to say about them. Uh, so uh, we set up an interview. Uh, what we did is we met at Giordano's Pizza in East Hazelcrest, Illinois. It was on a Saturday when Ginny and I went in to see my mom, and in fine fashion, uh, we were out shopping with my mom, and uh, we're running a little late. So I brought my mom to the interview with uh, Kent and Sarah. So it was Kent and uh, Kent and Sarah, Ginny and I, and my mother. Um, you know, because everybody takes their mom to job interviews, don't they? The interview, the interview went really well. Uh, I, I remember actually very little of the discussion and the questions uh, that that went on there. Um, you know, but I do remember Kent telling me very clearly. Uh, that he would need encouragement along the way. Uh, 
I told him that was not going to happen. Um, and encouragement, encouragement, you know, was not my strong suit. In fact, it wasn't even a suit that I had in my closet anywhere at all. Um, and that is when Ginny and my mother, I think that, you know, my mom uh, jumped in. It's kind of like, Mom, really? Uh, you know, they, that's when my, you know, my mom and, and Ginny jumped in, and whatever they said must have uh, calmed uh, Kent's concerns a little bit because, well, here he is. Uh, June 5th, I think it is, isn't it? June 5th will be uh, June 12th. Well, I had you a week early. Uh, June, so on June 12th, he'll complete his uh, 28th year of his one-year internship. Just a few more years, and I will be done sending in those reports to his advisor. Uh, <laughs> we all need encouragers. You've heard me say that before. We all need encouragers. Uh, you know, some of us need more encouraging than others, but everyone needs encouragement. Let's pray and we're going to look at this. Father, thank you. Thank you for those you have brought into my life that have encouraged me. Thank you for our friends, family, who have come alongside and help me to see life in a much fuller way than I ever would have on my own. Uh, many that have helped me live for you much better than I ever could have had they not been a part. As we look into your word today, I pray that you would open our hearts to you, open our minds to where you have us, to who you have around us, and who you have as part of our lives that we might be able to rejoice and be more, more in line with your calling to us as part of the body of Christ. We thank you in his name. Amen. So the area that I'm speaking about uh, today, about my prayers for you, is um, encouragement. I started praying this for my grandchildren, really. Uh, they are the ones that I started this Pray, a regular prayer for encouragement with. And then it expanded to praying for others as well. Uh, you know, realizing that others need encouragement. And, uh, you know, so it started, you know, it expanded to where, you know, then uh, as I pray for you, a lot of times what I would pray for was encouragement. And then it expanded to also asking not only would you find encouragement and that others would come into your life and encourage you. What I, what I actually pray is that God will put encouragers in your life. Uh, but I've also started praying that God will help you to encourage others as well. Because it's huge, you know, that's what we need. What, what we're looking at today is, you know, in my prayers for you, I pray that God will bring encouragers into your life and that he will also help you to encourage others. It's vital. It really is. We need this, and we need this both ways. We need encouragers in our lives, and we need to encourage others. Uh, quite often when we encourage others, a, a bonus that kind of comes back to us is we are encouraged. You know, it helps to lift us up. It helps to encourage us and keep us going. 
Now, we're going to be walking through several passages. They're all in the book of Acts. Uh, When I start reading, I'm going to start reading in in Acts chapter 4, if you want to turn there. It's on page 1006 in the Pew Bible. Uh, Really, we're going to kind of take a little bit, uh, you know, just a little bit of a quick survey of what's going on there. Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus into heaven right before the disciples' eyes. How cool would that have been? So I was working on this sermon. I thought, how cool would that have been to stand there and, you know, as you're talking with Jesus and to see him ascend, uh, you know, up into, up into heavens uh, to the Father. In fact, it was, they, were so, they were so enthralled by it. It says that they were standing there and the angels came up and said, dudes, what are you looking at? What are you standing there looking up into heaven for? Get busy. You know, and uh, so anyway... You know, they, what, what happened then, um, you know, it would also be a frightening thing. Because you see, the one who led everything was gone. The one who set the agenda, if you will, the one who you knew you could follow and that you could trust was, was gone and now they were responsible for the ministry that he turned over to them. Well, they did respond quite well, and we're told, you know, at the end of chapter 2, that many thousand came to the Lord on the day of Pentecost. That was the Jewish, you know, we think of, the Jew, of, the, of Pentecost as a Christian thing. That was the, the Jewish holy day that concluded the Festival of Weeks. That's what Pentecost was. Uh, the Festival of Weeks was celebrated for seven weeks after the Sabbath of Passover. If you recall, Jesus was crucified on, on the Friday before the Passover Sabbath, which would have been a Saturday for them. So he was crucified before that day. They didn't do anything on the Sabbath, and then it was on that Sunday. They went and found that he was resurrected on that Sunday. Um, you know, so the, the, they're there. You know, the, the day of Pentecost is the 50th day after Passover. Uh, not long after that, as they're going into the temple, uh, God heals a man through Peter and John as he encounters them. And that opens another opportunity for Peter to share about Christ and who he was. They were in the temple. He was just doing what he thought you know, he should do as a Jewish guy there. Um, and you know, as he was doing that, it says that many thousands more came into re- a relationship with Christ. And well, that, that response really uh, snickers the doodle of the, uh, of the Jewish leaders. And so they arrest Peter and John. They throw him in jail. And that only causes more people then to earnestly seek. And the church, it says, continues to grow. Growth caused more issues. And those issues that they had to face, one of them taking care of these people because many of them, a majority of them at that point, weren't from Jerusalem. They had come in for the day of Pentecost. And they're still hanging around. They need to be cared for. That's where we pick up in chapter 4, verse 32. It says, Now a large group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead held everything in common. Now just so you know, this is not Christian communism, you know, and this isn't communism at all. This is people responding to, to others with a need and, and love for, for them and caring for them out of, the love, you know, out of the love that Christ put in their heart. Verse 33, it says, And the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed for each person's basic needs. Joseph, a Levite, and a Cypriot by birth, 
the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is our introduction to Joseph. You know, Joseph, a Levite and a Cypriot, it says, uh, by birth. Now, we don't have time to get into too much depth here, but notice he was in the priestly line. He was a Levite and that he was born in Cyprus. He was a Cypriot by birth. Now, we don't know him as Joseph, you see. There's the thing for us. We don't, in fact, this is the only place in the Bible where we learn that his given name was Joseph. We know him, as it says there, as Barnabas, which is translated son uh, of encouragement. Joseph was so well known for this that the apostles noticed it, and they called him Barnabas, the name that we know him by. Now, what what, what a... What a great thing to be known for. Translated son of encouragement. I would be not probably th- that. I would be more with the sons of thunder. Um, they, but the, you know, the, the, uh, to be known for that, you know, think to yourself sometimes, what are you known for? Well, you probably don't know. Ask some other people what you're known for. And then hang on to your boots because... It might rock your world a little bit, but you know, and so here, you know, there was a need. People needed help. They needed basic supplies. So Barnabas stepped up and helped. You see, encouragers respond to needs. That's what they do. Encouragers respond to needs. So part of my prayer is that others will respond to needs in your life, and you know that you will respond to the needs of others. Now it may be a practical need. You know, in, in this case, you know, it says he sold a field and. And gave the money. If you want to sell your house and give the money to the church, we'll take it. Uh, just a thought. But um, you know, but 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 don't don't think that that's what the, the main call here is. You know, I think more importantly, it was a need for comfort. Uh, the word encouragement means one who comes alongside to comfort. You know, it's that paraclete. One who comes alongside and comes alongside to comfort. You know, that listening, you know, listening, being present, you know, being there. I used to, you know, when people started talking about this paper clips bothering me because I got ADD. Uh, so, the, you know, the um, people, people used to talk about, well, they were there for me. I thought, what in the world are you talking about there for me? You know, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, but it's true. But it's true. What they're saying sometimes is, you know, they didn't have to do anything. They were there and they stood with me. They cared enough about me to, to make sure that they were there, <coughs> you know, and make sure that, 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 they were, that they were with me. Now, these verses also tie in with the next time we see Barnabas. Turn back a, a little bit to chapter 9 of Acts. In Acts 7, the message of Christ you know, is still being openly shared when things take a tragic turn in chapter 7. Those who oppose the gospel, they stone Stephen to death um, as he's sharing the gospel with them. As he is telling them about the Lord, they stone him to death. In chapter 8, a particular hostile opponent uh, there, Saul, he ramps up the persecution to the church. The church scatters. They literally are running for their lives. God uses that to spread the message about Christ even further. Well, that really noobs off Saul, and so he, you know, he, he in chapter nine, as he receives letters and he goes on, you know, for a special commission from the high priest to hunt down those who believe in Christ. And as he's traveling, uh, God's had enough, and he steps in and he speaks and strikes Paul blind. Look at uh, chapter nine, verse four. 
<clears throat> it says, you know, this, this bright light there, and it says, falling to the ground, he, that being Saul, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why, do you, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, he said. I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into a city and you will be told what you must do. Well, then God sends Ananias to minister to Saul and brings him both to physical and spiritual healing. He comes into relationship with Christ and we're told there that he begins sharing the gospel in Damascus. And when he tries to meet with the disciples in Jerusalem, they knew him as this over-caffeinated guy who was chasing down all the followers of Christ. So they didn't want to have anything to do with him. And then Barnabas comes back into the picture. Drop down to verse 26 of chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. It says, when he, when he, that Saul, when he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to associate with the disciples, but they were afraid of him uh, since they didn't believe he was a disciple, but a nutcase. That's parts of paraphrase. Verse 27, Barnabas, however, took him and brought, Barnabas, you know, son of encouragement here, who took him, how, he took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked with him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they attempted to kill him. You know, you know, that, that, that's their solution to stuff. It's just nuts, isn't it? I mean, but this is the society we live in now, too. I mean, their solution is when you don't like somebody, you, you kill them. It's, uh, you know... To say it's nothing new is little comfort, though. Verse 30, when the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, uh, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. So here you have Barnabas, son of encouragement. You know, he steps up and he steps in to encourage Saul and the church. You know, he, he does it out on both ends. Now, we're, we're going to run tight on time, so just let me simply lay out for you what I see here. Encouragers are generous with their possessions and their time. Now, generous with their possessions really comes from Acts chapter 4, where he sold what he had and he, and he gave that. You know, he, he saw the need, he responded, he sold what he had, and he gave that money, you know, to, well, the church. He gave it to the apostles so that they could use it in ministry. You know, so he's generous with his possessions, but he's also generous with his time. You know, he took time here to come alongside of Saul and the church leaders. You see, it wasn't just Saul that he was encouraging there. What he saw was, he saw Saul who needed, who needed some encouragement and support, and he saw the church leaders who, who were nervous, who were upset about the, this Saul guy. And he was able to come alongside of both of them and, and bring them together. You know, he was able to come alongside both of them and, and minister to the needs that they had. It wasn't just one or the other, it was both of them. Now, part of my prayer, you know, is that others will take time to come alongside of you and to help you. And then also that you will take time to come alongside others as well. That's part of my prayer for you. Time is hard to give. Time is very hard to give, but it is so necessary. And again, sometimes it's just, it's just the time of being there. You know, now you can talk about Jesus till you're blue in the face, but remember, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
as I researched that, it was interesting to me that that came from one of our presidents. Um, you know, it's true. People need to know you care. Did you notice the result? It said, so the church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, that's a pretty big area. It's a pretty big area. It, what they had was peace. It said they had peace. It doesn't mean they didn't have trouble. It means they realized, they realized God was there with them, that Jesus was still there. They had peace. They were being built up. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. It says they were, and, and, and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It says, and it increased in number. Now after this incident here uh, in Acts 9, they, in, uh, Saul went to Arabia for about three years. Now he tells us about that in his letter to the Galatians. I meant to mark that down in your outline. I, I didn't, if you want to jot down there. Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. In Galatians 1, 13 through 18. That's where, that's where Saul talks about um, uh, going to Arabia for three years. I was going to include it in the sermon, but it had gotten way too long, so I dropped it, so you look it up. Um, turn a few pages further in Acts there to Acts chapter 11, and Barnabas shows up again with Saul. Acts 11, verse 19 those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, which, by the way, you know, Saul had a hand in there, uh, they made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one except Jews. But there were some men, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Then the report about them was heard by the church that was at Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve. And I love this verse, verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. What a great description. It says, and, a large number, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. Uh, now, this was, you know, this was after he had already spent a couple years. And then, so in another year, he, he spent, and they taught large numbers. It said the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, Christians, little Christs at Antioch. Verse 27, in those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. And this took place during the time of Claudius. Uh, so each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas, and Saul. Now verse 23 here is really what gets at the heart of my prayers for encouragement in the lives of my family and in my prayers for you as well. Look at what it says. He was glad and encouraged the, all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. That is really what's at the heart of that. You know, encouragers, 
when you're encouraging, encourage others to remain true to God and to remain close to Him. This is what I pray when I'm praying this for my grandchildren and for you and for others, that God will bring encouragers that will help them to stand strong, stand strong in Christ, to remain true to Him, no matter what comes along, to remain close to Him. You know, I, I don't want encouragers just to build up your self-esteem. Now, that's important. It is. You know, it, your self-esteem is important, and we need that kind of encouragement. We really do need that kind of encouragement. I, I just let me encourage you to, you know, with your children and your grandchildren, f- find something they're good at and encourage them in that. Encourage them in that. They won't be good at everything. Neither are you. You know, but encourage them in, in those, you know, in those things, you know, that that are that are that will help build their self-esteem. But that's not enough. You see, that is not a, a, that's not enough. I also pray for encouragers who will help you remain true to God no matter the pressure to do otherwise. Whether it comes from your boss at work who might want you to lie or fudge the truth a little bit. By the way, that's the same thing. You know, fudge on truth is still a lie. Uh, you know, the, the, you know the, no matter what pressure it is, I, I pray that, you know, the encouragers will help you to remain true. You know, I, I pray that encouragers will help you stay close to God and to stir up your passion for Him. That you won't lose that passion. That the things of the world won't grasp your eyes uh, so much that, you, that your passion for God fades and cools. I, I pray that that will continue, you know, and for encouragers who will go out of their way to connect with you, who will go out of their way and connect with you. Verse 25, it says, Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. He went out of his way. He went out of his way to find Saul and to connect with him, to be able to come alongside of him. He set time aside to go and to do that. And I pray that people will come along and do that in your life and that you'll do that for others. We see here, encouragers can be trusted with the truth and with material possessions. They heard that this other group of people had become Christians. What did they do? They said, you know, we really need to make sure on this. We really need to find out. We need somebody to go and look. You know who we can send? We can send Barnabas. Why? Because he knows the truth. And because he knows the truth, you know, we can send him because we, we can trust him there. We can trust him as he connects with them. And then also, you know, with material possessions, because when they heard, when they heard that those in Jerusalem uh, were in need and they sent money, what did they do? They sent it with Barnabas and Saul. They sent it with them. They could be trusted with these things. You know, they, and so they, they went with that. You know, they knew that they could trust that, that uh, Barnabas would give them the truth if they didn't have it that, and that they would hear the truth from him about these new believers. Now, during this time, Barnabas is actually discipling Saul. That's what he's doing. He's discipling Saul. You know, he's helping Saul get established in a relationship with Christ. That is what we should be doing with people when we're encouraging them. Come alongside of them. That's what discipling is. You're helping somebody be established in their relationship with Christ. All of you who have kids, you should be discipling your kids. You who have grandchildren, you should be discipling your grandchildren. 
Those of you who have neighbors, you should work to disciple your neighbors. That pretty much covers all of you. Uh, those who have friends, so that leaves some of us out. But at any rate, you know, that's that whole process of pouring into others to help them become established in a relationship with Christ. This is how Randy, uh, you know, Randy Boltima approached me. He tried to help me get established in a relationship with Christ. He said, well, you didn't have one at first. Well, that was the first step, you see. That was the first step in the discipling process, was to help me know and understand who Jesus was and to come to the place where I would give my life to him. The very first step in discipling. But when that happened, Randy didn't say, okay, he's in, I'm gone. No, he stayed there and he, he well, part of it put up with me. Uh, you know, he, he poured himself into me. He helped me get established in a relationship with Christ. This is what Barnabas is doing with Saul here. He is helping him get established with Christ. He's helping him learn to grow and to serve God well and to serve God with integrity. Look at the last two verses of chapter 12. The last two verses in chapter 12. It says then God's verse 24 then God's message flourished and multiplied after they had completed their relief mission Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem taking along John who is called Mark now Barnabas is leading things here that's why his name is first you know, he's leading things here he saw the potential in in Saul he saw the potential here in John Mark and he saw a need to come alongside him and to bring him with them as they ministered. So it's, you have Barnabas who is pouring his life into Saul. They see another one, John, Mark, and they bring him along. You know, and as we go on into chapter 13, there's a transition of leadership from Barnabas to Saul, who were also told at the beginning of chapter 13, Saul, it says, who is also called Paul, you see. And we have that transition here and. and in, in verse, uh, look at verse 13 of chapter 13. It says, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. John, however, John Mark, that is, left them and went back to Jerusalem. Now, we're not given the details as to why, but that comes into play in a little bit here and a little bit later. In chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are sharing uh, about Christ and, and the people think that Paul and Barnabas are gods themselves. Look at verse 14 of chapter 14. You know, these people are responding you know, to Paul and Barnabas as if they're gods. Verse 14 of chapter 14, it says, The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this, and they rushed into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing these things? We are men also with the same nature as you, and we are proclaiming good news to you that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to go their own way, although he did not leave them without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruit of the seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and happiness. Even though they said these things, they, were, they barely stopped the crowd from sacrificing to them. You see, encouragers want God to get the glory. That's what their concern is, that God would get the glory, not themselves. And it wouldn't be, you know, they're, they're not looking. You encourage people because that is what God called you to do, not because you want them to think better of you. 
You don't encourage people so that they'll think better of you. You, call, you encourage people so they'll think better of God, that He will get the glory. You know, it, it's, it's about God. It's not about you. It's about God. Just one more passage and we'll wrap this up. In chapter 15, uh, chapter 15, the, the church begins to debate questions. Turn back a little bit to another chapter to 15 there. And the, the church begins to debate a little bit questions about what Jewish practices the converts to Christ had to follow. You know, did they need to be circumcised? Could they eat meat sacrificed to idols? Could they, you know, did they need to obey the Sabbath regulations? The disciples, the apostles, the leaders met together, you know, and wrote a letter to the churches with a decision that seemed right. I like the way they word that. To the Holy Spirit and to themselves, it says. And they decided to send Barnabas and Paul to spread the news about their decision. You know, they were able to tap these guys. So Barnabas and Saul went around and, and, and gave this, this letter, transmitted this, this important information. Uh, and then they wanted to do more. So look at verse 36, chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, drop down to verse 36. Last passage we're having you turn to. Verse 36, it says, After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, I see there's that transition. Paul's kind of the one leading a little bit more now. Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in every town where we had preached the message of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now here's where John Mark comes into play again. Verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul did not think it appropriate to take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. There was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Then Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the church. Here's the thing. Encouragers don't hold grudges. They don't hold grudges. You see, because their goal is to help people draw closer to Christ Jesus. Grudges will hinder your interactions with people every single time. If you hold on to the grudge instead of, instead of holding on to the Lord, and uh, you know some things are hard to overcome. They are. They really they, they are. I was going over some while well, I was mowing the lawn this week. <laughs> I was mowing the lawn yesterday, and someone came to mind, and I thought, Lord, I don't like this person. This person just really irritated me. You know, something they had done and uh, very intentionally uh, to hurt me. And it was almost the only audible, the only time I hear God speak audibly in a, in a little voice is when it comes out of a little a four foot eleven person who I married. Um, but it was like God said to me, um, have you forgiven this person? And I'm pushing them over up toward what I refer to as my Caleb tree. It's a tree Caleb got in third grade and we planted in the yard. And it was almost like, I don't know that I can say I have, Lord. You know, and I, I prayed right then, Lord, I, I forgive them. 
and I really need, you know, I I never really wished ill on them, um, you know, never wished bad on them. Um, but it's not that I would have been terribly upset had bad happened to them, and that's not a good thing. That's not a good place to be. You know, encouragers don't hold grudges. You hold a grudge, it's going to interfere with you every single time you have an interaction with that person. They don't hold grudges. They try to draw people closer to Christ. You know, when you hold a grudge, grudges don't consider at all, you know, that God wants reconciliation. Grudges block reconciliation. They hinder reconciliation. It puts up a wall for reconciliation. It, you know, and like I said, I, I know, and some things take time to work through, and you have to, but you have to work through them. God doesn't want you. God, God doesn't want you in a place of holding grudges. He wants you in that place like Barnabas was here, where you know what. John Mark messed up, but I'm taking him along. He needs to come along with us. He needs us to pour into him more. Now, we covered a lot today, and rather quickly, I, I told Kent, I said, this is three or four sermons. You know, um, Just take a minute, real quick, you know, and, and look at the qualities of encouragers we gleaned here from Barnabas' life. You know, Encouragers respond to needs. They're generous with their possessions and their time. You know, they encourage others to remain true to God and to draw close to Him. They can be trusted with the truth and with material possessions. They want God to get the glory, not themselves. And they don't hold grudges because they want people to come closer to Christ. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but in every instance we looked at here, the church grew. In every instance where Barnabas was there and he was encouraging them, and it says, and the church grew, God uses encouragers to help his people and to help his church. He uses encouragers to help his people grow, and he uses encouragers to help his church grow. I pray that God will bring encouragers into your life. And that he will also help you to encourage others. That is important. It's important. That God bring encouragers into your life and that you are encouragers into the lives of others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us that's shown in many ways. And in some of those ways have been those encouragers that you brought into our lives and what a gift they have been. What a gift they are. Thank you, Father, for those times. I can still remember when people just, even just one sentence, that still sticks with me. I still remember because it showed me they cared. Oh, Father, don't let us take this lightly. Don't let us uh, pass over it as if it's not important. It is so important. Help us to be grateful for those who have encouraged us. 
and help us to follow their example and encourage others. That your people might grow and be strengthened. That your church might grow and be strengthened. Where there's grudges, Father, help us to deal with them, with you and with others if necessary, to set those aside so they do not hinder, to resolve those issues, whatever it is that's keeping us from encouraging others. Father, help us to resolve those and to come alongside and encourage. You have constantly encouraged us. Father, help us. Help us to be a tool in your hand to help others know what a great God you are. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.